0: Welcome to episode number two of the Holistic Musicianship Podcast with harpist, singer, and songwriter Carol Emanuel. I'm really excited about today's show because it's our first episode with an interview with another musician. These interviews will give us the opportunity to hear firsthand from people with years of musical experience, 55 years in today's case. I think it can really help us grow as musicians when we can hear about the challenges faced by others in the musical world, as well as what's really supported and resonated for them. In our interview today, we'll be speaking about challenges with playing-induced chronic pain, performance anxiety, ego, and even depression, and some helpful ways of working with all of them. And we'll also speak about how personal spiritual work supports musicianship and how playing an instrument can be a spiritual practice in and of itself. I'll give you a bit of a story to introduce our guest today. Last summer, my wife Emily and I were at a mindful self-compassion training at the Omega Institute in upstate New York. The training focused on learning to be kinder and less harsh to ourselves, especially helping to work with the internal voices of mean self-talk. It was super powerful for me as I definitely have had a tendency to be my own worst critic as a musician and in the rest of life. During the training, I heard that a world-class harpist would be playing at the Institute one evening while we were there. So Emily and I decided to check it out. Oh, and I'm so glad we went. The harpist was quite mesmerizing as we listened to her seamlessly transitioning from Celtic music to Brazilian music to Middle Eastern music. She played with such tremendous emotionality, grace, and heart. And I noticed several members of the audience in tears at moments throughout the set. And as the set came to a close, she also revealed that she had a gorgeous singing voice to boot. It was really something special to behold. At the time, this podcast was just an idea in my head, but as she played, I could sense that this woman possessed great musical wisdom, and I felt a strong draw to ask her to be the first interviewee on my podcast. And you guessed it, that harpist was none other than Carol Emanuel, our guest today. Carol is a harpist, singer, and songwriter devoted to the spiritual journey, and she feels music plays a major role in that for her. She's played with a lot of terrific jazz musicians over the years, including Mark Rebo and Bill Frizzell, and currently she performs internationally in John Zorn's Gnostic Trio. She's also played on several studio recordings, including records by Danny Elfman and Cyndi Lauper. And before diving in, I just want to be upfront that I felt a lot of nervousness going into this interview. It was the first interview I've ever led, and I really wanted it to go well. When I listen back to it, I can hear the nervousness in my voice, and I felt nervous to put the interview out there out of fear of me not sounding professional enough. But I feel strongly that Carol's voice needs to be out in the world, and it's a great opportunity for me to practice being compassionate with myself and face some fears. So... Here we go. So, welcome, Carol. Thank you so much for being here and speaking my with you today. My pleasure. Hi, Jack. Why don't we begin with you just sharing with us why you love music so much?
1: Wow. Um, it's beautiful. Sound is something that just is my it's my vehicle to interface with the world in the deepest way so whether i'm listening to music or i'll just hear a snip of something and i'll go ah music why do i love music here's a great example i'd be hired to play with an orchestra and i'd show up and i'd be so nervous just shaking, and I'd put my hand on the harp, first note from the orchestra, and I'd go, what were you worried about? It's music. Mm. So that whole world that you're invited to, it's a world you're invited to, and you belong to.
0: So for people out there who are, are beginners, you know, who want to just get into music, or maybe haven't even begun yet, but would just really aspire to explore music. What advice would you give them if you could give them one piece of advice?
1: Practice. Don't be afraid to spend 15 minutes a day, half an hour a day. Start small, but deliberate practice. I just finished this book. I don't know if I told you about it. It's called The Great Work of Your Life by Stephen Cope. It's Mm. about dharma. It's about your purpose, and one of the qualities of Dharma is deliberate practice. So if it's something you really want to do, you have to be willing to give it time.
0: Hmm, and what would you say deliberate practice is?
1: Well, you know, it's different for somebody just starting. Deliberate practice would be that you don't skip a day. You're going to play every day. I make a commitment. I'm going to play every day. I think deliberate practice for somebody who's been a musician for what, 50 years, 60 years, 55 years? Deliberate practice means that you are committed to keep nurturing this this quality of you this gift of yours you're like that's it mm. you don't get to dick around with it you know that famous saying the Gnostic saying what is within you if you bring out what is within you it will save you and if you don't bring out what is within you it will kill you
0: Hmm.
1: so the way to happiness is to deliberately practice that which is in you.
0: Mm. I really like that. And I heard you say, you know, don't be afraid to give the practice. You know, to give that to yourself. And I and I do think that that's a really big piece that a lot of people who haven't, who have always perhaps wanted to play music um, are dealing with is that they have this fear of, I could never do that. I don't have musical talent. I, I've, I've, you know, or I could. What if I fail? Or you know, what have you experienced that you know experience of fear? Or what in particular? Well, I you think of that about?
1: all the time. Why mm. am I doing this? I I felt very apologetic for many years. Mm. What am I doing here? But you know, music got me through so much depression. I really think I would have committed suicide a long time ago. When I would be depressed, I'd go sit at the harp. And it always made me happier. Or it always made me sadder, which was a good thing. Get, get even sadder. Or play sad music.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So the point that I wanted to make for that, um, to address that question was, do it for yourself. Music is, a, music is medicine. And if you're called to start an instrument late in life, know that there's a reason you're being called, that your guidance is leading you to make music. And yes, you haven't practiced for 30 years. Okay, you didn't practice for 30 years. You want to blame your mother? Fine, but maybe now you want to start and just learn three chords on the guitar and you can play hundreds of songs with three chords. And enjoy it and do it for your own for pleasure for healing for joy community yeah
0: yes it really can be such a magical thing and that's really powerful how you spoke about you know how music can make you feel it's like you're sad and then you play something that feels really sad and it like could hurt really bad and yet it feels incredible or is cathartic. Yeah, that's definitely, a, I have experienced that and can be deeply healing to like go into the pain. And there's something so incredible about how music, it's like you feel, underst- the music understands the emotion or why is it that these sounds and these emotions when they go together can come into such a harmony
1: Yvonne Linz, r- the great Brazilian composer, wrote a song about the piano being his best friend. And I would definitely say that the harp is my beloved. Mm. And I took a week, I took two weeks off from my last gig, and the harp was sitting in this room, and I finally moved it into the other room and started playing again, and I was like, oh, hi, sweetheart, hi, I'm sorry I've been away. But, you know, there is that relationship with... It sort of completes you. It it brings a wholeness to. To me, it brings a wholeness.
0: Hmm. You know, I I definitely resonate with that feeling of like that there's a person to person connection there. And I know sometimes people the relationship can actually become, you know, for a lot of beginners or people who are struggling or perhaps you get into like this perfectionistic place or something and the relationship can start to become
1: antagonistic
0: antagonistic relationship has has that ever been part of your experience god i, I yeah. can't
1: i can't remember except when the pain started you mm. know when and we might get to that later but yeah just uh-oh you know i can't play it hurts
0: mm. yeah maybe maybe this is a great time to just explore that a little bit could you share a little bit about what you experienced um, with Some physical pain arising for you?
1: I think I was playing a piece by Earl Howard, this composer, and it was all trills. And I ended up jamming my arm, the tendons, and I had to go to a specialist who, believe it or not, sprayed something. I mean, I'd been to everyone. And then my mother knew this friend who was a doctor, Heinz Lippmann, and he sprayed something on my arm. And it, the pain went away. And other things have come since, you know, other, other issues, back, shoulder, arms. But I, you know, I have done Alexander and Feldenkrais and all kinds of body work, yoga, to learn how to produce the sound so that I won't be in pain.
0: Hmm. Is there anything in particular for anyone listening as far as what you've connected around that? that
1: Oh, yeah, we were talking about that. So I finally put some stuff together and realized that I thought that I was making the sound in my arms and my hands, and that's where this tightness was. But then I realized that if I received the sound through my channel, shishmuna or Shishumna, it's called, my central channel, the sound could flow out through my fingers. Mm. And I got rid of that idea that I was making it.
0: Mm. Yeah. So rather than really creating the sound with your fingers and your arms, letting it come through you more so. Right. Just that switch, switch of awareness made a big difference. Right. Yeah, I had a very similar experience dealing with pain also, and to start realizing that just with the shift of your thinking, your body can start to work in a completely different way what helped you definitely well a lot of things helped me i did realize that a lot of the pain was both physical and the alexander work helped me tremendously realizing that i could utilize my entire body and my support from the ground and yeah use it all as one entity to let the music come through and then as i started to deepen into that and realize that i could let myself be played And have that intention and feel almost as if similarly to you I didn't have to play the music and actually some other sort of energy would almost move through me and create the sounds that took a lot of the strain off of my body as well but I also realized that another piece was emotional how much pressure I was putting on myself was manifesting as physical pain.
1: Wow it was the pressure you were putting.
0: Yeah it was fascinating to realize that emotional pressure like was transmuting into physical pressure like if i can't
1: get this together what good am i and i have no worth if i can't
0: figure this out tremendous amount of self-worth things wrapped up in the instrument for sure which i think is very very common for people who feel like this is the thing that makes me a cool human being it's your whole identity whole identity it's your
1: identity and the other day i was so sort of delighted and surprised that i visited a friend in New York, the woman I met in Greece, and she kept introducing me as this is Carol. She's a hospice singer. And it was just so adorable to not be introduced the way I usually am. It was great. It was great. Mm. It was a big, a big sign of a shift that that identity wasn't as needed as it had been. Oh, trust me, I have clung to that identity. My whole life. This is who I am. Blah, 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 blah.
0: Yes. And so it feels like that's starting to shift shift yeah. for you into right. some new possibilities. Right. And what, what effect has that had on the whole of you, if any? Can you speak to that?
1: I feel like there's even more notoriety hmm. without the identification. Something frees up to really have people notice it's funny right without that pressure see me see me see me when that goes then people really see you (laughs) it's pathetic but true Mm. (laughs) so it's just a shift you're 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 being seen not because your ego wants to be seen but because your true gift is being seen And your greatness, my greatness, is God. It's just, you know, I was playing for high holidays once and I drove over to the synagogue, took the harp out and sort of tuned up and then started to get ready to play and I went, oh my goodness, my greatness is God's greatness, it's not mine. You know, that's Mm. that grandiosity that sometimes musicians suffer terribly from. It's so disconnected you know it's so disconnected Uh, probably all artists have that piece of grandiosity like look what I can do and look at how great I am and it's such nonsense and yet there it is there's that voice and you just keep playing (laughs) what are you gonna do you just keep playing and thanks for sharing and now just do your job play you know I had a harp teacher at CalArts, I was going to play the Ravel Introduction and Allegro on a recital. It's a big piece for harp, and I was so nervous, and such a wreck, and I'm pacing backstage and she goes, oh, Carol, shut up and just go play, hmm. and that's, that's it. The other stuff is invariably going to surface, but if you don't take it so seriously, it's okay. It's hmm. like noise. You know, and you can just listen to the noise or maybe change the channel for a minute.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting how almost when we stop putting ourselves in this box of this is who I'm supposed to be, I have to live up to this, then more creativity can actually come through because in some ways we're stifling the creativity by this is who i am i have this perfect picture of who i'm supposed to be and it all needs to fit into this box actually it's quite liberating for the creativity or it can be as you start to free up from that
1: agreed but you know what is that process that frees you from that that's a lifetime of development and um and seeing that uh you know those egoic voices they're not the real you, you know? Mm. But music making is the real you. It, it's a great opportunity to explore all the dimensions of being. If being a good person means something to you, that's what you're going to develop. If having a relationship with yourself is important to you, kindness towards yourself, compassion, then that's what you're going to focus on. And, and be a musician, do you know what I mean? It's. Mm.
0: And how would you say those cuz I know what I know about you is that you're committed to those elements in your life of being a better person and you know helping the world and exploring those depths inside of yourself. So how has that you know being conscious of those things affected your musicianship? Completely.
1: I just think that it it for me it's hand in hand.
0: Hm. Mm. How so could you say a little more about that?
1: I think every opening to love in my life is heard as I do music. You're bringing that. So if healing is finding the places that you don't let love in, if that's what it is, then the more you heal the places that don't let love in, then your music's going to reflect a more open, loving, loving, Source, and then whatever you're doing, you can be playing angry or sad or happy or bitter or vengeful, or, but it's going to be coming from a more open, free source. Arjashanti just said, it's just a continual state of becoming. Mm. Life is a continual state of becoming, and if you ever say, "Oh, I'm, he- I got it," it's just there's no such thing. You're, the, you're where you are now, and then you'll be somewhere else in the next moment, you know. But I definitely am grateful that I get to um, show up differently for every gig, you know. It's six months apart or four months apart or two months apart, but you're not the same as you were.
0: Mm. And there is a sense of, like, if in as a musician you're trying to, like, beat the game or, like, perfect anything or get it, or you just get it all down, That that's just going to set yourself up for not being, not feeling fulfilled anyway, because it, there is always more to learn, there's always more aspirations, and d- it, it just deepens and deepens the further you go kind of thing.
1: I remember before the Omega thing, I kept saying, Carol, if you're having fun, they'll have fun. So it doesn't matter what you're playing.
0: mm Interesting. Yeah, searching for the fun. It's searching really such a huge, huge thing that I think so many people lose can start to lose track of. So many musicians. It's, it's so like,
1: easy to lose track of it. I lose track of it all the time. I you know, drudgery I have to go over and practice and I'm like, "But it's supposed to be fun!" Mm.
0: <laughs> you mentioned your gig at, at Omega and that's where I first saw you. Right, that's where we met. And you know, I was astonished My wife and I both were astonished by your just ease and how that channel really did seem just to be pouring for the music seems to just be pouring through you and you seem so relaxed and in such an open place and then when I had the wonderful opportunity to speak with you after the show I was pretty amazed to hear you share about that you had been feeling quite a bit of uh, anxiety before the show you know in preparation And so I thought that was really interesting. I wondered if you'd be open to sharing a little bit about your experience with, you know, performance anxiety.
1: It's terrible. My performance anxiety is, is paralyzing and horrible. And I had a a Kabbalah teacher in Israel teach me this exercise to put this thick, to imagine a thick golden belt around my middle. Mm. And I did that for years, maybe two decades. Before, every time I played in public, I would visualize this um, thick golden belt. And it really comforted me and and took away a lot of the nerves. Hmm. And um, yeah, no, I, I pace the day before and then the day of. I can feel very comfortable. Like at the Frick last Friday, I felt fair. I woke up, I was no nerves. And then, you know, I get there and I'm like shaking like a leaf. And that's why I, that's why I tend to over practice, because um, I do a lot of muscle memory practicing, because of that shaking. Mm. You can't play and shake, and you know. So, so I, um, you know, I sometimes do what Glenn Gould used to do, which is turn the TV on to play or the radio on. To just force you to concentrate on mm. what you're doing, you know? But no, the, the, the anxiety is terrible. And I told you I once took two aspirins and took an audition and played terribly. So I'll never do that again. Mm. So for me, the anxiety, I've been able to manage it with some mantras. I, I say to myself, relax and be the vehicle. Trust God and chill. A lot of different mantras. Shut up and go out and play. I mean, there's a lot of ways to calm yourself down. And uh, part of the reason I was so relaxed at Omega is I, um, I chose not to do really hard music. Because I just needed it to be really relaxed. Mm. The one thing that was hard was that Brazilian piece that Joe Beam wrote called "Double Rainbow." That that was that's a tricky piece. A lot of changing harmony and pedaling on the harp. A lot of pedaling. And you know I didn't want to use music, so a lot of it was memorized. And there were some other pieces I wanted to do, and I dropped them at the last minute because I didn't want the worrying
0: mm. you know yeah and I think it's interesting you mentioned about taking a couple aspirin so it was like was it a feeling that actually making the anxiety or almost that the anxiety actually is serving some sort of purpose that can actually help you right and we talked about this as, last perform night as well as you could, or? I
1: always felt that the anxiety was there as a lens of a telescope that needed to be focused
0: mm.
1: and to spend time reining it in and focusing that lens you know just take those lenses and keep on at it until you are focused and you know sometimes you'll be nervous for the first 3, 4, 5 minutes and then it just goes away and when I would have these piano recitals here and my kids would play I always knew which kids were going to be musicians, because they were the kids that it forced them to get it all together when they were in front of people. They played better than they ever had played in front of people. Mm. It's like you're playing into the listening, you know, like something about an audience being there made them get it together, focus like they never have before. And I remember that when I was a little kid. When people would be there, I'd listen like I'd never listened before. I heard things that I never heard before. That's why it's so great to play in front of people. Because all of a sudden, it opens up in a new way for me. Not, I'm sure not for everybody.
0: Mm. So that energy sort of... There's something about it that, that seems to have an effect that it tells, your, tells your nervous system that something powerful is happening here. And it, and it really is a powerful experience, right. sharing with music. And, and we
1: talked about this at the restaurant last night, that I told you that it was like jumping off a cliff. Mm. The freedom from the anxiety, you need to jump off a cliff to get free from it. And it's a little like free fall. Right. The bad news is that you're falling. The good news is that there's no ground, so you're free falling. But it's music. You love music. Don't worry. There's nothing to worry about. Mm. That's another mantra. There's nothing to worry about.
0: So there really is that that anticipation of ju- of the jump off, and then it, it's actually like you just gotta just jump off.
1: And what it brings is vulnerability, the jumping off, all of a sudden you don't have that toughness. You just have this more authentic, authentic voice. Mm. You're not holding on to anything. No crutch. There's mm. no crutch.
0: And I think that's what an audience can really, really connect with and resonate with, that, vul- that human-to-human vulnerable connection, right. that where they can really feel the person sharing openly like sharing themselves and pouring their heart out so that that's really well said and that that kind of holding ourselves back to try to keep ourselves safe and not jumping yes. up really stops or it stops that human to human connection because you're trying to protect yourself i guess right and you felt like this sense, i guess because i think the mind says like the ground actually is like sma- smashing into the ground is like people booing you or like saying you're not good or thinking you don't have talent and like so that's where the mind goes but you have a sense of there actually is no ground
1: well it's recent it's really recent this I've only just this year let go of fear just Hmm. this year no fear knock wood I only had two gigs with no fear and it after it happened the first time I was so scared it would never happen again but it happened again, just that um, you're not thinking, mm. you're playing you're playing but you're not monitoring every thought and every movement and every note. You're in a lyrical place. You're not in a mental thinking place.
0: Mm. So that you two times and two shows happened, this year you've yeah, had I'm that experience. Yeah, I'm 62
1: years old. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there were moments in my past, there were moments where I felt I was plucking music out of the sky that was already there, like notes during an improv. There were notes in the sky, and I was just plucking them. Hmm. And um, and now, thank God, not good, it happened twice.
0: Wow, uh, throughout the duration of the experience. Yeah. That must be very, very powerful. But
1: 62!
0: <laughs> sure... I know that experience very much of how you go in and out of it. You'll get these flashes and you'll be like, wow. And for those mo- moments, I was like really clicked in. And then it seems to move, move through. Right. That sounds powerful. Was there a, f- a feeling of like presence of th- really in the moment with that experience? Or what did that, what is that? You're just there doing like? it. Yeah. Just
1: You're just there.
0: Beautiful. Not a big deal. Yes.
1: Not like some big, great, grand, big deal. Just let it flow.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that we work, you know, as musicians. So many people aspire for that so much, and work so hard for that, and work so hard for that. And actually, the experience of it is like not working, just letting or allowing, or it's just happening. that's right.
1: Just allow it to happen. But it's interesting. That's why sometimes I'll go, well, do I want to meditate or chant or practice, and that's where it comes back to that deliberate practice. I'll go, your practice is at the harp. Get your butt over there. Because all of this happens. Everything that is on the cushion is happening at the harp.
0: Mm. It's
1: a very similar process of getting out of the way and, so not, and th- not dwelling on repetitive, obsessive thinking.
0: Mm. So there's a, there's a parallel between this kind of meditative practice as well as... Being a musician. Being a musician. It's a
1: spiritual practice. Mm. There's no question about it. I agree. You're, you're practicing. You're practicing, you know, patterns, sound. It's sound. Just dwell in sound, you know, Shemai Israel. hear, O Israel hear the soundless sound is presence you know so sometimes we sing uh, the bedside singing and we'll sing for each other right here in the living room that's what that chair is we we give people turns to receive the sound Mm. and uh sometimes it gets pretty grace filled in here like something just happens You know, like, we could be singing for an hour, and then all of a sudden, it's here. You don't know what is here, but something's here. And it happens sometimes, the softer we sing, the more blending there is, we'll just feel this presence has come. And the next day I was meditating, and that same presence was there. Hmm. The exact same presence, but it didn't have sound. But it was the same presence just without the sound. You know, I always felt, and this is a very personal thing, not appreciated enough. And it, it's it been a deep pain in my life. You know, pretty generous about things. And sometimes I didn't feel that it was given back in a certain way, but, and especially with music, because you know I played background music for 20 years in Manhattan, I made my living playing for tea at Saks Fifth Avenue, and for Leona Helmsley for dinners, and parties, and people are half listening or a quarter of listening, and you would just be pouring your heart out, and not a word, you know, and, and so that's where that comes from. That's where that comes from. I remember my Kabali teacher saying, but God is listening. Mm. So what was I saying about... Um, oh, so we're in Eastern Europe. Last year we are in Poland, and I was with the trio, the Gnostic trio, Bill Frisell and Kenny Wallison. And we had finished playing, and we we're sitting in the audience, because Zorn was showing some movies of this animator from the 40s, Adam Smith maybe, I don't know, I'm not so, and a few people came over to say thank you, and it was the thank you of my lifetime. It was completed, the way, and, and my when I came home and told a friend, she said, well, you know, in Eastern European, they actually, they hear differently. <laughs> They, they listen to music with their whole beings. When this man said thank you to all three of us, you know, with a slight bow, you know, it was as if he had received. It was as if he had received mm. what we were there. And I mean, I play with amazing musicians and I, I believe we're on the same wavelength in terms of
0: love. So it was really interesting what you said about like you know the practice of really giving music and, and sharing it with the world and it not being about us. And yet at the same time there is this other piece that it, how meaningful it was to you, the musician, when these people came and really thanked you and it, it for what you had played and what you had shared and and what you had to offer. So an experience really of giving it and receiving that there really is a balance there. How good it feels to feel, yes you want to give it and share it with the world and give it to other people, and yes it feels amazing to receive the love and appreciation for what you care so deeply about.
1: But it was what he had
0: received. Mm.
1: It was He was communicating that something was received. Mm. And it's unnameable, it's unspeakable.
0: Uh, that there's something wasn't just like ah, that was a nice musical. Thanks experience. Thanks so much. Yeah, yes. a really nice musical e- experience. That's
1: it, and thank you for letting me clarify this right now with you because I I didn't understand it until just now. It was what he had received.
0: Well, wonderful, and I think that you would. I think that it'd just be important, kind of as we. Move towards concluding here. I to speak, have you speak just a little bit about your experience singing um, in the hospice care with your with your group. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Because it's such a powerful, beautiful thing.
1: Well, I fell in love with um, this friend of mine who has the most beautiful voice, and I just um, she lives at such a high vibration that I wanted to be around her when she sang for hospice. This was in California. Her name is Susan Garrett. And so she already had a singing partner for hospice. And I learned all the low parts so that I could go and be the third part. And it made me... I learned 50 songs. I took hikes every day and I would bring my... You know, my Walkman, I would bring my iPhone and I recorded all the parts and all the songs. And I was determined. I took this as a full time job learning this music. And so then we would sing three part harmony. And she took me under her wing and she showed me how to be at a bedside and how to sing with love and kindness, audible kindness and how to be present for the people that we show up for and that it's the unlived love. We get to share it and they get to share it and it's kind of very special, you know, because we all have so much unlived love. And when you go to a bedside and you're looking into someone's eyes who's lying there, not particularly close to death, but but they've had a stroke or um, something's going on and they can't live a normal life. Um, It's kind of special to see them shine after you've sung some 15 minutes for them and they've received it. Then you really get to see music as medicine. Hmm.
0: And how powerful about just bringing this awareness and intention of singing with kindness there really is. I don't think that many people, when they're playing music, think about that kind of thing. Oh, I'm gonna like really try to channel kindness into this music. That's the really very that's interesting,
1: fascinating, because that's what you that's what you do at a bedside.
0: Well, I figured as just a final question here, that could be a nice way to end things, is to just ask you what. And it's a very broad question, but what role would you say? that music plays for the world.
1: Hmm. Depends on what country you're in. You know, you're in Brazil. Everyone knows every word to every song. Hmm. It's a unifier. Look at the sixties. What we went through in the sixties with music, you know. people have their music stevie wonder you go you so much joy right diane diana ross i mean what what does the role music plays oh my god i can't answer that is there anything that plays a bigger or better role hmm. when you think of it
0: i think that that is a beautiful place to to call it a uh, For this talk, I really, really appreciate you giving the time, Carol. Thanks, Jack. It's been a real pleasure. Wonderful honor to get to connect with you. You're a wonderful
1: interviewer.
0: Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. I'm so grateful to Carol for taking the time to share with us. I can't think of a better first interviewee for this show. Just so many nuggets in this interview. I really love this idea that how we show up to our musicianship day in and day out can really grow us tremendously if we bring intention with us into it. So often I think we musicians get hung up on just trying to play all the notes perfectly. I know I did for many years. But if we can start to check in with ourselves each time we sit down to play, listen for what we need, and bring a clear intention to our playing, I think our music and experience of playing can be transformed in an incredible way. If you're interested in hearing Carol's music, you can check out the podcast show notes for info about her musical projects at www.holisticmusicianship.com podcast. There you'll also find information about the singing for hospice care threshold choir group Carol spoke about. They have chapters all over the world and the music is just deeply beautiful. I think it's an amazing gift these people are offering and according to Carol, they're typically very open to new members joining. Well, that's it for today's episode. If what you heard is resonating for you, please subscribe on whatever app you're listening on to find out when future episodes are released. And also taking a few minutes to rate the podcast on iTunes or leave a couple sentence review goes such a long way toward helping other musicians find the show. It's really a main intention of mine to help musicians along their musical journeys, and so your support is deeply, deeply appreciated. For now, I wish you all beautiful musical explorations and I'll see you next time on the Holistic Musicianship Podcast.